often when you come into an organization, so this is the fourth organization I've come into help really build out RevOps. It's usually really hard when you have someone in seat, whether it's the executive team, an ops person, whoever it was that built the foundation, you kind of want to dance around kind of calling their baby ugly where it's, you're really doing it wrong and you you kind of play reserved. That's one that I always wish I got a little bit quicker um, is build that trust quickly that I could get to the point where we just address things a lot sooner than we have, but it's probably one that I'm still not perfect at. Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in pursuit of unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest is someone whose background we can't wait to dive into, a true RevOps professional who finds satisfaction in helping others and making lives easier. He's made a career from learning and improving the inner workings of Rev architecture and in SaaS. He has over five years of experience in leading ops teams, the VP of RevOps at Maverick, Brandon Baldwin. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you. Excited to be here. Brandon, right off the bat, we love to get into the juicy, vulnerable details of your experience. What is something in RevOps that you feel like you've had to learn the hard way? Yeah, um, great question. I, I feel like there's quite a few things. Um, what sticks out to me is kind of two aspects. First is when I was first starting in ops, it was new concept. Like some of the role had existed, but it wasn't called RevOps. So people are trying to understand what it was. And I got put into conversations where I was asked to do things. I had no idea what, was, what they were. Um, and my problem was being new. I'm, I had to prove a name for RevOps and what it was. And so I was confident every time, like, yeah, I can do whatever you're asking. And I remember an example is the first time I ever had to do a capacity plan. Uh, they asked me for it. And I'm like, oh, yep, absolutely. And I Googled it. And if you Google capacity plan, there's a million different things and half of them are wrong. Um, and I did one of those wrong, complex ones. And I presented oh, no. really nice. And they were like, what is this? So things like that, that were, were really difficult to understand. Um, but taking that, it I actually was, as I think through what I learned, that branched into a different concept that I think really was the hardest thing for me to learn is anyone listening, if you've never really studied a drama triangle, go study it. There's different versions of it. But the concept is when you have a problem, t- people tend to react with one of three mindsets, a victim, a villain, or a hero. And as a RevOps, I always want to be a hero. Um, we have that concept of like RevOps will get anything done. And I was actually enabling where the hero wants to solve the problem for everyone and you don't really delegate and it overwhelms you. Um, so I think for me, honestly, it's the understanding of ask good questions so you know what's going on um, and be vulnerable when you don't know how to do something. And then turning around and not just being the one that does it all, but teaching your executives how to do a lot of those responsibilities so you can actually operate quicker uh, and also have the team support, not just individual support. What you're saying really resonates, Brandon. A couple of episodes ago, Heidi uh, joined us for a conversation. She shared a similar takeaway around asking questions early, but also how RevOps end up taking on a lot of initiatives that don't belong to them because they're so good at getting shit done. And what you're describing here is let's enable and empower other people to do the work as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
So Brandon, your title is VP of RevOps. What does that entail at Maverick? Yeah, um, so there's kind of twofold to it. Primarily is we have two organizations. We just acquired one called Later. So on the Maverick side, I'm responsible for the go-to-market um, operations, analytics systems. So marketing, sales, support, services. At the same time, we're taking a PLG model, um, which is the later side we acquired, and trying to bring it into alignment with a traditional SaaS model. So it's also being involved in that and making sure we can make that transition properly um, is also ownership. And then ultimately the full go-to-market scope uh, across both organizations. So how do you measure success in what you're describing? Yeah. Um, so this is where I have to break it down because uh, once again, we have kind of two, we're trying to maximize one business model while bringing another one in. For the Maverick side, it's realistically taking what I was given um, a couple months ago coming into the organization and how quickly can we start to execute? How cleanly can we execute? And then the visibility. So for me right now, it's how visible are we to our actual organization to make decisions properly versus just kind of winging it. So the quicker I can see that visibility and understanding that everyone knows what's going on, that's success in my mind. On both organizations, it's Realistically, creating a customer experience where you can have two different models into one and people wanting to engage with us in a way that we haven't had before. So not only visibility, but true customer journey and excitement along that journey with the visibility that goes along with it as well. And, and what's something in your role that you'd wish you'd done sooner? Oh, uh, I think almost everything I wish I would have done sooner. Um, when I look back at... Often when you come into an organization, so this is the fourth organization I've come in to help really build out RevOps, it's usually really hard when you have someone in seat, whether it's the executive team, an ops person, whoever it was that built the foundation, you kind of want to dance around kind of calling their baby ugly where it's, you're really doing it wrong and you you kind of play reserved. That's one that I always wish I got a little bit quicker um, is build that trust quickly that I could get to the point where we just address things a lot sooner than we have, but it's probably one that it's still not perfect at. I think there's a corollary that I picked up early in consulting, which is to not crap on the prior consultant <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there's all kinds of reasons that decisions were made and you know, not all the tools were in place. And some of the technology didn't exist. There are all kinds of reasons for things, but yep. uh, so I think that's a, I think it's a really good one. Brandon, you've worked in a number of RevOps roles and managed a good number of different kinds of RevOps teams. What does your RevOps function encompass today? And how does that compare to some of the experiences you've had managing other RevOps teams? Yeah, so coming to this organization, I knew it was going to be very small. Um, so I've gone from points of being an individual RevOps, building up to you know teams of over 20, all in-house, some off, you know outsourced, balancing that out. Wanted to go back to the foundation of, I'm really good at building from the ground up. Um, and so I decided to take a step back to have a very small team to a point where we have one in-house, two offshore, we're building out the function where if you look at any ratios, we're really far behind where we need to be, but it's, you know, going into next year, it's kind of, I think the reality, a lot of people are going to find themselves in is you got to roll up your sleeves a lot more than anticipated. Um, so we, we've kept it lean. I intentionally try to keep all my teams lean. Uh, and right now it's specialists and everything, but I want to get back to, I like the model where you have your analytic function, you have your operations function, you have your systems function. And if we can maximize that very well, then we'll kind of be ready for the next phase of growth. Can you also talk a bit about the distribution of 
uh, team members, let's say across the business, be that on the marketing side or the sales side, customer ops, even product marketing for some teams, how does your current allocation of time or resources fall within those areas? Yeah. Um, so right now, a lot of questions here. Um, with Maverick specifically, when we came into the organization, there was a really big push of there's some sales fundamentals that we had to get in place. A lot of structure that wasn't fully built out. So coming in, that was the main priority is we have to close business and, uh, and prepping for what's coming. And quickly as we start doing that, it has to be seen as holistic. So we're looking at not just are we supporting one department, supporting one thing, but we took the customer journey and we're taking avenues and saying, okay, let's focus on our highest avenue of progression for a customer and let's fix that first. If we can fix that, we'll at least improve the business enough. So it's split pretty evenly between um, you know, marketing sales, customer success. Um, realistically, right now we have someone in product marketing that's within product that we work closely with, but we kind of leave that. But then we're also owning enablement, um, kind of the scope of everything. But to be able to digest it, we're not looking at silos. We're actually looking at flows and operating off those flows. With so many different kinds of initiatives and functional areas, you mentioned earlier the importance of balancing in-house outsourced work. Help me understand how you determine what needs to be in-house, hunker down, roll up your sleeves sort of work versus what you might trust a consultant to do or what you might even trust uh, maybe a lower cost vendor to provide? Yeah. Great question. I, I'll i try not to embed and, in, in, you know, uh, insult any consultants in the room. Um, realistically for us, when, when, when we try to get to the full scope of what's going on, is we all know you have a lot of control when it's in-house of you have a lot more direction, you have a lot more accountability. Where I look at it is when I've gone through like a full operational flow to make sure it's actually a project that matters, we're not just focusing on the tactical piece, we're, we're bringing it back to a strategy, is when I break that down, if there's a time constraint where I have to get executing very quickly, consultants can go very, very quick of here's our problem, they know how to quickly scope it and they know how to quickly build and they typically have more resources. If I have the budget, it's a good path to go. If I have a little more time to build something out and we want that accountability, the long-term accountability, I will typically go in-house. When I have tactical requests that are repetitive, that's typically where I'll look at like an offshore team where we can not have to train too much, give them a lot of autonomy, but know that that manual process will be done on a regular basis. And given the layered complexity of the tech stacks now, I think what we see is sort of another category in there of bringing in consultants to work alongside a team and help develop in-house resources by just partnering together, given the depth that the consultants have in mm -hmm. a particular area. It could be CPQ, it could be, you know, some other area. Um, but that makes a lot of, lot of sense what you're saying. Well, it's so hard and, and working with consulting firms, it's, it's hard these days to find someone really talented that can do a wide range of stuff. Like when we talk systems, is if I were to count off like tip my fingers, I can get two people that I'm like, any tool I throw at them, they will be an expert within a day. Just phenomenal people, but they're not all out there. And so what you have to find out is who's really good at what they do and how quickly can you get that? And that's where consultants become very valuable is they have that exposure, they have that experience where a lot of people being within one organization, they don't. They don't see all their scopes out of them that they built. And if they don't have that natural mentality, it's really, really hard to challenge the status quo in that sense. 
yeah, I think the validation also that you're taking the right path and uh, that there's not only one way to do it properly for an organization. I think that's what people are looking for. Yeah. At the start of our chat, you've mentioned having multiple orgs coming in and rolling into your current business. RevOps is often tasked with initiatives that don't exactly have a clear owner, be that around uh, acquisition integration after a merger and acquisition uh, process, or you know something we've been hearing a lot about is product-led growth, PLG. Brandon, you've had a good amount of experience in mo- multiple of these areas. I'm curious, how do you, first of all, orient yourself when you're tasked with one of these large cross-functional corporate level initiatives around the purpose and how do you prioritize your resources or initiatives? Yeah. Um, so let's be real. Usually I panicked, um, get stressed for a while, go stressy, and then I come back to it and really address what's going on. It's just like any project you're given. So like in the consulting, you're kind of brought into a situation that you might have tidbits of generally knowing what's going on. Really what I have to get from the beginning is what is the vision? And if I don't have kind of a chief visionary in the company, that's what I look for in an organization is, is there a leader that has a vision that we can operate off of? Because if you don't have that, how do you determine what your success is going to be in these big movements? And acquisition is a very big movement that there has to be a general purpose, not just we had the cash, we decided to buy someone. Those 99% of the time will fail because you don't have the direction. But if I know this acquisition is primarily for market penetration, we need to get these other markets. I can then say, perfect. If that is our end result, how are we going to do that? And you work backwards to exactly what needs to be done and which time period. But I've been in both shoes where I didn't have that. It was just thrown at us like, hey, we were told to go buy this company, board suggested we bought it, like go bring them together. And it fails because no one, once again, if there's no end vision, no one's willing to take accountability because it puts their job at risk. And that's where a lot of acquisition fails is you have both people on both sides of, well, if I'm involved, I'm going to lose my job because then there's repetitive talent or on the other side, you're being acquired. Are they even going to need me? Are they going to keep me as a company? And people don't get involved. But if you can say, here's our end end goal of what we want to accomplish, just like any project, people are more willing to raise their hand to be involved in that vision of success. So knowing why you're doing acquisitions is very important. Knowing why you're doing a project, like the end result and having KPIs around that without that fundamental stuff you hear all the time, it's pointless. Like you don't actually know and it won't, won't work most of the time. I think Simon Sinek would be very happy hearing what you just said. He, one of my favorite books is, is uh, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. Great book. Simon, if you want to send me an autograph, that's great. When it comes to the PLG motion, I'm very interested in hearing a little bit more of that. Some companies right now are pivoting towards PLG rather than a more SaaS or sorry, sales-led SaaS product motion, partially to increase organic growth, partially to reduce customer acquisition costs. And there's a whole variety of drivers behind it. It sounds like at Maverick, you've had that motion and, and potentially even side-by-side with a traditional SaaS sales product model. Can you share a bit around how you're involved in that and how does RevOps support PLG motions? Yeah. One of the things I to, to answer that, I think there's kind of a big problem right now is everyone hears the excitement of PLG. It's just like when RevOps came in, everyone heard the excitement of RevOps. And they're like, oh, we got to be a part of it. Check that box. PLG is falling suit. Uh, oh, it's super exciting. Look at all these big companies doing great. Let's do it. Not every company can be set up for success in that model. Not every business will be able to operate. 
but there's some fundamental truths to PLG that should even exist in sales-led models and any other model you're operating off of. And that is the sense of that product experience, the customer experience is seamless. And if you don't have it seamless, you're not going to have a good PLG model of, if I want to go from A to Z, am I easily able to progress or do I have to start talking to people? And do I have to rely on somebody else? And that's where you can take that PLG model or that concept and bring it into sales-led growth. Of It's not just, oh, we have a sales team that goes and outbounds. It's every step of the way, is it super easy for the customer or they do they have to rely on us too much? And it's creating efficiencies and good experiences that create the outcomes. So when we're looking at the two models and bring them together, it's not just, can we just throw our people in now that they're using the product into this greater enterprise product, but it's, do we have the same fundamental concept of every decision we're making is because it's a good experience for that customer and then tie that data together of where can different data points interact to show that full story, even though they're two different models. And that's that's where I think a lot of people are pushing PLG too much is, oh, we got to get the PLG, but no, take that concept which is technically what RevOps been trying to do for years and say, hey, what's our customer journey and what's every point we interact? How can we make it more seamless? They don't have to rely on us and they're more willing to adopt. And that's kind of where we're trying to find that balance is realizing what can one product do today in the sales-led model that probably is a lot of product work to make it better. And then the other side, it's how can we make it that we can have more conversations, bring more awareness with the content side to create the sales conversations down the road. You're you're saying something that, really, I think, strikes a chord here, which is focusing on that customer experience. You don't need to have all the latest tools or tech to be able to start your PLG motion. It starts by centering around the customer experience, the customer buying journey, and ensuring that all of that is as connected and as seamless as possible. I think for a lot of folks, they think about it as this grand, massive project that they're going to roll out over the course of a number of years, and they end up not starting. And this seems like a very, very actionable place to begin. Yeah. It's horrible analogy, but I think of Black Friday this year um, in the sense of you used to be able to get an ad and go sit in a store and have really good deals. And they went away from it because they were trying to accommodate. But so many people are now complaining. You go look on Twitter, you go look on the news. Everyone's like, oh, there's no good deals this year. I didn't have a good experience and I'm not really buying because it's been going on for months. It ruined the customer experience. And I think a lot of people are trying to adopt to what other people are doing too much that they forget that customer. And if they forget that customer, it doesn't matter what model you're doing, you're not going to have success. I'd love to switch gears a bit and talk about your involvement when it comes to interfacing with the board or your investors. To what degree as a RevOps leader, do you help with preparing board presentations or do you actually get an opportunity to directly work with the board on specific initiatives? Yeah, this this one. So first of all, across the board, always help with board presentations, making sure that it is correct. We have the same story. It's aligned. Once again, we're in a position that we see all functions and it's not just are we reporting to the board in a silo? We can make sure we're ter- telling that narrative through the data. And so a lot of involvement um, over the last 10 plus years. As far as interacting with the board. Now, I'm not one to be in the board meetings, but what we've created is different organizations, depending on their understanding of the operations of the organization is I'm brought into specific tasks, post conversations of, we had the board meeting, here's our take. We want you to get on a call and go talk about X, Y, or Z that we're trying to accomplish, where our thoughts are, what the data looks like. Um, And I've done a lot of that over the years where we have some of those smaller conversations with certain board members. um, And typically... You know, it, it, well, as I think about this, 
it depends on the board itself. Um, so my last organization, we were talking to the board on a regular basis. It felt like every week something was coming up and we we're talking to them. I've had others where they go silent for three months because they trust everything going on for the update and move on. So it's kind of the demand of which investor you have and knowing that relationship and not pushing it. But then also knowing your executives can bring you in at any point to help expand the conversation. Uh, and I think if you have a good CRO that understands RevOps, that's where I've been more involved in the conversations is when they realize RevOps is a right hand to help, not just a task taker. So for anyone trying, I always had early days, people like, oh, you got to get in board meetings, got to get board meetings. First of all, board meetings still terrify me, even though I know the people, it's just that pressure. Being in the side conversations um, is very valuable. But I think for any RevOps person, know the story of what they're trying to share in the board meeting, even if you're not there, because that will help you in prioritization and future builds of what we're trying to see as a company. Really, really great advice. And also wonderful to hear that an experienced leader like yourself is still scared about or nervous about board meetings. I think that's a, that's a factor that uh, a lot of our first time RevOps leaders think about when they're preparing. It's like, how do I, how do I even be psychologically or emotionally prepared for what's so important to the business? And I wonder if there's a parallel to people's first time, you know, participating in an executive staff meeting or presenting to, you know, that next echelon is up with the board. Um, but, you know, so typically it's a group of people very interested in seeing the, and enabling the success of the company. Um, so anyway, just such, you know, such a positive thing. You made me think um, when I was starting out, even presenting the executives, it was first intimidating uh, going into the space. Um, I won't call out the CEO, but one day a CEO came to me and said, you know, I actually listen when you talk now. And after that day, I'm like, oh, then I'm good. I can present whatever I want. Like no nerves whatsoever. But oh, I just took awesome. someone making a joke that I was like, ah, okay, I'm, I'm valid in what I'm doing. That's awesome. Yeah. When it comes to growing your skill set, staying on top of the latest trends in the marketplace, you know, feeling prepared for stringing together a narrative for a board. Are there any resources that you found to be helpful in your advancement as a RevOps leader? Yeah. Um, I feel, I, I was trying to count a while ago. Somebody had asked me a similar question. I don't know how many hours I've spent on Google over the last 10 years. I, I probably... 50% of my time, I feel like I was always Googling something, trying to find the resources to the point though, a lot of them were just random people posting random things that ended up not being valuable. So over time, I've looked at more community focused um, kind of content. And I kind of found similar things of there's a lot of free networks I'm a part of, like you can probably go into any of the RevOps uh, Slack groups and find me in them. I don't participate in a lot because it came a lot of noise uh, that wasn't really valuable to what I was working on, but I have found uh, some of the paid memberships, uh, one of which I'm right now is Pavilion, really great content, really great individuals. And it becomes most of my learning that I need RevOps specific is one-to-one -one with individuals that we ask a question. So I've built a network of other individuals that any of us have a question, we'll hop on a call and walk them through it. We've done it. And that's, what's become important because one thing I've talked about a lot in RevOps is don't ever plan on being internal. Well, depending on your position, but if you're the top of RevOps or the only RevOps person, don't plan on a professional plan internally. No one's probably going to know what you do. No one's probably going to know how to coach you. So go build your network. Go ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask people. You'll get some good advice. You'll get some bad advice. But the paid communities just control the content you'll get a little better. Um, so I encourage anyone to go look at any of those to, to participate in. Great advice. And I totally hear you on what you're saying regarding the noise that is out there. 
David and I host monthly roundtables specific for RevOps leaders in a very curated fashion. There's a set kind of agenda and format and types of topics that feel very timely and um, top of mind for folks to discuss. But part of why those roundtables for me feel so powerful is it is a smaller forum. It's a smaller group of people. It's folks that have similar kinds of backgrounds and experiences. And it's not trying to filter through the hundreds of emails or list serves that were part of, or even the Slack messages that you described earlier and trying to find like whose opinion actually matters. Who should I listen to? Yeah. Or, I mean, people can go start a podcast and just buy a bunch of ops people on the podcast. So another option. There's lots of ways to learn. And, you know, one of the benefits from what Jaron was just saying about these roundtables is even if you're not somebody sharing a challenge that you have, you can listen to the experiences from the rest of the group. And you may not have anything to share about a particular challenge that somebody's faced with, but you're hearing each, each of the responses as people share, you know, relevant experiences about the challenge that's faced. So anyway, it's, it's so helpful because it is a lonely job. And like you said, because there, there isn't anybody who's going to put together a learning plan for you that, we love asking this question because it's so valuable to hear all the different types of resources that people leverage. And I think to like the small group setting. So I've even started attending like CRO events, CMO, COO, whatever it is, because it's interesting to take that perspective of a, a RevOps individual to those roles and get that understanding. Not only does it help you, it helps other people see the world differently. So I think when anyone's looking, don't just look at what's RevOps, go look at what's anything go to market related, go attend those. You get fabulous individuals that you can you know rub shoulders with and learn a lot from. Awesome. All right. Why don't we shift gears? Uh, let's talk about technology for a while. We're in and out of technology all day long. So it's inevitable it's going to come up. Uh, is there a tech stack tool that you couldn't live without? So my normal answer to this is no. I have some that I like, but being kind of my thought process is no tool will fit every organization. So it depends on the company I go into. If it fits, great. I'd use it. Um, there's things out there of, I want a good CRM. Um, I won't mention which one. Don't want to start that debate on this podcast, but a good CRM with some good supporting uh, data providers. You have to have a data provider that fits your market. And so I'm not going to go out and say, hey, Zoom Info has to be the one. I've had companies where Zoom Info had none of the data that I needed. We had to go to a niche um, kind of provider. If I get something more advanced, I love things like Boost Up, having full visibility, seeing risks, seeing those types of things. But the weird tools, it's like I use a PC because I like fuzzy match in Excel and I can't live without it. So every company I go to, I have to have a PC so I can use a fancy Excel tool. It's just the, the, the reality of where I live. All right. Well, talking about uh, spreadsheets and, and Excel, which is the place I think a lot of us have spent a lot of time, uh, where do you go to get an at-a-glance view of the business? Yeah. Um, so kind of going back to depends on the phase I'm going to an organization. Uh, typically, when I come in to help build it from the ground up, it's always Excel. Uh, it's kind of where everyone lives. It's easily manipulated. It's reliable. It's if you can create an environment where people know which one to look at. That's the key thing. Excel, Google Sheets, Google Slides. That's going to be the core foundation. Now, ultimately, what I try to get to is CRM needs to have some data as you're building it out. And as you start to get the holistic view of how can we see what's going on in reality, that's where I start to say, okay, do we have a data team and data provider and a BI tool, which use quite a few. Um, honestly, if I could pick anyone ever, it would be Domo. I feel like it's the easiest one to use that that's where we can get that. But there's that sad reality that no matter what organization I've been a part of, no matter how large it's been, 
we can have a centralized source of truth, yet we still have CEOs and COOs that want a spreadsheet. So it's building both and realizing both have to coexist for people to have what they need. So having written probably tens of thousands of lines of VBA code in, in OpFocus's early history, uh, you know, we certainly saw the value of that flexibility, almost like ultimate flexibility. Uh, at the time, all those years ago, we challenged with the we were challenged with the distribution model with Excel and people opening old versions of things, and you know, uh, just you know, not having a layer on top that you could allow people to comment and uh, that that sort of thing. But um, that's very interesting. How about uh, is there a platform or tool that you rely on for a health check? Yeah, right now. Um... Sadly, no. Uh, it's spreadsheets and HubSpot. What I look at is depending on which health I'm looking at, there's kind of two avenues that I, I typically like to go down. One is, yes, there's health stuff in Salesforce. I just don't feel confident in it. That's why I look at things like Foostup or Clary or some other add-on to that extent. Um, for the client side, when you're looking through customer success, you have things like Gainsight if you can afford it. If not, you have small things even like clientsuccess.com that I've used quite a bit. Things like that that have that general framework already makes it really easy for a small team to start to see that health uh, visibility without having to build it from scratch. So that's where I look a lot of those, depending on my company and size. Those are typically the ones I try to go with uh, or some scope of those. Yeah, and, and certainly what that brings up is the different phases of growth that SaaS companies go through. And the reality that we see as, client, as, as consultants, I think we've got a nice vantage point to see that systems are appropriate at different phases and it's natural to rip and replace uh, systems along the way. So not everybody's going to start with the gain site. Yeah. Um, so and right, we'll talk even along that front, like I, I was talking to an individual recently, they've used Clary for seven years and they're like, we've never really gone back to market because it's just what we've used. And it's how many companies do that where they don't go reevaluate. And I think it's so important when we talked about acquisition so many companies are going through this acquisition phase that they can now do two to three X what they used to, but people aren't learning about it. They're not seeing it. So they're stuck in antiquated ways. Uh, I was uh, meeting with a, a prospect this morning and it was interesting with some of the technologies we were talking about. I had to sort of ad admit that I might be a couple of years behind with one topic or another precisely because of all the acquisitions. So you mentioned Zoom Info earlier. I think all of us have sort of something in mind with what Zoom Info probably was three or four years ago. They've gone on, a, on an acquisition spree and really do quite a lot of stuff. That's true of a lot of vendors yeah. about that range. So that's an important point that you brought up. Yeah. So, so I guess building on what we've just been talking about and thinking about the future, what, what is exciting to you about the future of RevOps? Like, where, where all this is going. Yeah. Um, I asked myself this question probably way too much of what's exciting, what's coming up, um, what's more. And I think from RevOps perspective in general is there's two folds to it. One is the not so positive is you have so many people popping up in the RevOps space as consultants, which some RevOps who make really good consultants others not so much that it's kind of diluting what RevOps is. So what I'm finding excitement about is when you look at the larger perspective of RevOps and I go away from the role, but the concept of if we have an aligned organization with accountability and visibility with really clean, efficient processes, we can grow three to four or five times more than any other organization. 
if I take that concept and see how businesses are now understanding it is for some reason, a lot of executives understand business operations with that mentality of doing that same thing of aligning the organization, creating accountability and efficient processes. They're getting a lot quicker growth and they're they're going to survive what's coming in the future. So I think for RevOps, it's if we can continue to show that motion and expand it beyond just the go-to-market function, which most of us, we work with every team except for engineering and making it an, an actual operational understanding for an organization and see all these small players that have been kind of uh, stagnant start to succeed and grow. That's what makes me excited is we're actually fulfilling what RevOps was in the first place. It's not just, hey, we can be all your systems, we can do these things, but we're going to help you rethink how you do business to grow and understand your customer better. In the first half of the podcast, Brandon, we've been asking a lot of questions about your experiences in the past and learning from you. We love being able to understand who you are as a leader and a professional and learn more about you in the second half of the podcast. You're currently based out of Kaysville, Utah, and you went to school undergrad at Weber State for psychology. You got an MBA from Westminster State after um, previously, you had been director of RevOps at Balto. I would love to know, how did you go from VA in psychology to now SaaS RevOps at Maverick? Yeah, uh, I, we'll see how much time we can get through this. It's a, it's a long story. To summarize it, when I was uh, doing my undergrad, so I originally started college wanting to be a public speaker. And I had a relative that was doing corporate uh, public speaking. He did like the firewalks and like all these executive events. And I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. So I started at his program at a different university and then he retired, sold his business and retired. And they kind of basically ruined my chance into that organization. So I still like the concept of helping people. So I switched to um, we were state and did a split focus on my education. So in psychology, I had two focuses. One's industrial organizational psychology, which is business psychology. And the other was adolescent psychopathology. And I wanted to be a youth counselor, kind of go work in a treatment center. Um, so I did that path for a while and was looking at PhD programs um, to go full-time. Two things, very taxing, uh, very hard jobs to anyone out there doing it. My hat's off to you. Like It's very, very stressful and, and kind of sad occupation but then you make no money. Even if you get a PhD, you make next to no money. Um, and I had met my wife and she's like, hey, you're not leaving Utah. And all my programs were in New York and Idaho and other states. So I said, great, I didn't want to do this anyway. Um, and I shifted to become a licensed uh, financial advisor for equity compensation plans. So found out people like psychology people in the investment world, because you know how to read people and behaviors. So did that for a while, um, but I'm not someone that likes to work. 80 hours a week. Sorry to anyone that does. I don't like to. Um, so I left that and got into tech. Had a friend in Utah. It was just starting to grow. Um, Workday was the big company that came to Utah. And everyone's like, hey, you got to come check this out. So I started as an SDR. I hate sales. It's just who I am. I, I don't like sales one bit. So I try to find any path out of it. And I came across a company that said, hey, we need to build a sales development function from scratch, but also we need to build an analytics function from scratch. And I said, great. I like half that job. Like, I'm happy to go do both, but I like the analytics portion of it. Um, and I got into analytics. And then over time, things were progressing. I started managing the sales development department and complete after we built it. And they gave me a phone call and said, hey, come Monday, you're in sales and marketing ops. And I said, no, no hey, like I'm still trying to do what I'm doing. And they're like, let us rephrase that. If you want a job here, we're still small. You are now sales and marketing ops. And I said, sure, sounds great. Um, so ever since then, it kind of stuck. Um, and then 
when I was doing my MBA, some of my favorite classes were analytics and operations and anything that was kind of flow management. Absolutely loved it. Um, so it's kind of where instead of going to another function, I decided ops as I looked at it, it's a place that I can help people like I wanted to originally. Um, you have people with problems that you get to help them solve their own problems. Um, and then also you get to see the inner workings of an organization, that industrial organization psychology, so prevalent. Even to the concept of, can I put people in certain rooms together to make them produce more? Any concept like that is something that we have to consider on a regular basis is maybe now that we're remote, it's not in the same room, but what's the interactions and how can we maximize output by interactions um, is something that ops is just really stuck to. So through all that, fell into RevOps, to be honest, um, other than analytics, I thought I was going to be analytics data scientist, fell into operations, um, and I've absolutely loved it ever since. How cool is it that we get to hear all these origin stories and they're all so different. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I know. If anyone has the same as me, like I want to hear, I haven't met anyone anywhere close. Brandon, I'm also interested in learning a little bit more about what Maverick does. Yeah. Um, so very summarized, Maverick is a social influencer platform in the sense of we help brands manage their social campaigns, you know, TikTok. Instagram, all those influencer ads you see, we help those brands actually manage those um, and create them and connect with the influencers themselves. I'm interested to shift a little bit and do a higher level kind of introspection question, right? You've you clearly done a lot of thinking about how uh, RevOps in a way has been accidental. It was, a, it was a need initially at a small business and you've kind of stumbled in and combine the experiences from your psychology background and your MBA together. So looking back, if you could give advice to yourself on day one of your current role, what would you say to yourself? So this is kind of what we've talked about in a sense of, there's a few aspects that were really hard. And we talked about the crucial conversations, how quickly can you have crucial conversations and like giving that advice, but realistically, when I look back at the first day of every organization I've ever had in any function, not just RevOps, but any function, it's how can I make the life for others around me easier and really focus on that? Not just what's in it for me, what's in it for the company, but how can I very, very quickly make the lives of anyone around me so much better that they always want to come back and experience more? It's the first 90 days, I always come in with that mentality of like, I'm going to do really good. I'm going to help people but I get stuck in, oh, do I understand what's going on? Do I understand all these little things? And I forget and I let the noise kind of overpower those small wins that I could do. Um, and I think anyone in any role, that's what you have to take a step back is balance the noise, balance the noise with what your purpose is, no matter what your purpose is, and make sure that's shows from day one. I think the theme I've been hearing throughout our conversation is really around understanding who your stakeholders are and keeping them central to the process, right? I think it's so easy to geek out about the tech or the processes, the latest frameworks from serious decisions or Forrester or whatever, and forget that, hey, it is about the customer experience ultimately with a PLG initiative. Hey, it is about making my sales team's lives easier or my marketing team's lives easier when it comes to RevOps. And I really like that you're centering it back to the people and the stakeholders and not only the shiny new things that we see in the marketplace. Yeah, I think one thing we don't talk about enough um, along those same lines is not only putting your stakeholders at the core of everything you're doing, but too many RevOps people I know, they don't know who they are and they don't know what they stand for and what they want to accomplish. 
And that's where you have this debate that's been existing for years of how does RevOps become more, you know, valued at the table and actually get to see the table. And that's what it comes down to is you're going to have times where you have to say no to something. Um, for example, it might be a technology someone wants to buy and you have to say no because you know it's going to take away from who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. And having that confidence of, I don't care about that full validation from everyone. I'm here to do something. Um, so keep them, keep the executives forefront. But if you have that purpose, you can challenge them in a healthy way that actually moves the business forward that a lot of robots people don't talk about. And they're still stuck in the pleasing that they can't have the crucial conversation to move a business forward. In an ideal world, what might be next on your career bucket list, Brandon? In an ideal world, one of my stocks uh, will catch in very well. I'll retire and go live somewhere far away, um, right? But that's not the reality. So for me, it's, I still like to challenge myself. Um, and to be honest, I've had this conversation with the Red Rocks people. Some are lifers. They're going to be in it for life. There's days where I'm questioning, is there more I can learn? What else should I be doing? Where should I be going? That I think kind of the shift over time to more of a business operations COO type uh, path is where I'm now looking to expand where I don't have experience in the engineering world and kind of other aspects of the business that I just haven't had the exposure to previously. Leading RevOps can be pretty intense, right? We talked about the cross-functional corporate initiatives. We talked about number of people and functional areas involved. When it comes to unwinding from the insanity of your role, what are the some of the things you enjoy doing outside of work? Yeah. Um, so I need to do a caveat to answer that question. I have five kids, um, all under the age of 11. So mm-hmm. outside of work, there is no free time. It's carpool to dance, carpool to sports. It's yelling at them to clean their rooms. Um, so in the spare time I get, I've turned to comfort eating. I mean, it's a reality. I like food. Like if I can go eat somewhere with no noise, absolutely love it. Um, but I'm also, I have to keep my mind going. So I am a DIY person. I'm remodeling my own house. So anytime I need time to go do something, I'll go work on a project to get that done. Um, so for example, last weekend I needed a break and I started working on electrical in my house. It's just finding things that take my mind away from work is the key thing is I need to drop what I'm focusing on there. Using my hands gets me to do that. And then just spending time with my kids is probably the most. Well, having only three kids, uh, I can imagine with five that you've got a lot to think about. That's wonderful. Once you've hit a certain point, they take care of themselves. So three was diff- more difficult than five. I feel like there's probably economies of scale at some point, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I got lucky. My eldest is a daughter who like is very motherly. So it, it's it's gone full circle. She helps out a ton. Great. As we start wrapping up our conversation, something we love to learn about from our guests, Brandon, is who are some of the people in RevOps today, in the community that you've met, in um, the conversations you've had, be that through Pavilion or other forums, that you really respect? Who else should be on this podcast? Yeah. um, So typically in the early days is... I would follow, there's some key ones out in the market that everyone kind of are familiar with. Um, so you have the Rosalind Santelena, you had Hillary Headley, you had um, Jeff Ignacio. Those are some of the key ones that I, I'll say grew up in RevOps with. <clears throat> what I found out is there's a lot of hidden gems. We have a lot of people that post that are very active, that know a lot um, that you'll see. One of the people that posts a ton that I don't think gives enough credit is Jordan Henderson. Um, he was a senior director of RevOps. He went back to being a director of RevOps. 
phenomenal. Um, lawyer background, just finding people with unique uh, backgrounds. Um, Gabriel Rustis, R-E-U-S-T-I-C. He took on, so the reason I say someone like that is he has another experience where he took on an international organization and he had, I think it was like 10 different RevOps teams across the globe, all speaking different languages that he was trying to consolidate into one. Um, so he taught me a lot on the efforts he was going through to try to centralize that into one common speaking uh, function. Uh, it's funny. I, I guess I thought of a joke of, you know, a, a lot of us aren't speaking the same languages while we're speaking the same language across RevOps and other, <laughs> other uh, you know, business functions, but actually having real language differences uh, must make yeah. that complexity quite significant. Absolutely. And we'll make sure to include links to those folks and their names in the show notes so that other folks who are listening on the podcast can also follow them and find ways to connect with uh, those amazing RevOps leaders. Yep, perfect. Lovely. Last but not least, where can people find you, Brandon, if they wanted to connect with you? Um, so being a sarcastic person, I have to answer first with a joke. I prefer Venmo. Um, if you want to connect with me, just send me something over. Happy to talk there. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. That's great. Uh, it's small fee, but it works. Um, no, so realistically, most of mine's on LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with me, go to any of those RevOps networks, uh, Revenue Collective, Pavilion, um, you know, the Opstars, any, anything out there, you can find me on those, but typically LinkedIn. Uh, you can reach out to me and just look up Brandon Baldwin. Um, you'll see me and happy to connect there. And if our audience needs help with their influencer marketing campaigns and managing them, where can they find out more about Maverick? Yeah. Um, so amongst the mini Mavericks, you can go to maverick.com. So M-A-V-R-C-K. If you're an influencer, check out later, the other organization that we're part of, um, help you manage your, your aspect of the influencer side. Um, but take a look or reach out to me and happy to provide a demo of either. Well, Brandon, it's really been a, a pleasure having you on the podcast today. Uh, you you clearly have a passion for all this, and it's it's so cool to um, spend time hearing about your journey and about how you think about uh, the technology that you're working with, the teams you're working with. Uh, it's really um, exciting. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what you do next, and whether it, you know you continue on that journey toward a COO role. So thank you so much for uh, being with us this afternoon. Yeah, I appreciate both of you. It's when I was coming to RevOps, I wish there's more things like this uh, to hear the reality of what people go through. I think there's too much of uh, these podcasts that are glorified end state that I love hearing the path of how people get to it, how people are struggle. So appreciate the time for both of you and love what you're you're creating. Thank you, Brandon. And we'd also love to thank our audience of RevOps leaders out there learning with us every day, defining what the cutting edge is in all of our work. If you learned something today or laughed at Brandon's joke, please tell someone about this podcast and follow, subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Thank you again, Brandon. Thank you. This has been another exciting episode of RevOps Rockstars. See you next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OptFocus. 
Visit opfocus.com to learn more about how OpFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations. 